Welcome back to the Key in the Lake podcast, the premier whiskey podcast, now with the mention of whiskey in its title. Hey, it's Jake. Not coming live from my basement. I'm actually out on location doing a little field trip to the north, north side of Chicago to the newly opened awesome place where you should all come if you live here or are visiting, even if it's snowing as it is outside right now, because what we have here is one of the, the great concepts of Chicago. A pub, a cafe, some dinner, some whiskey, some gin, some beer, everything all good, which is the Green Post, which just opened, what, four weeks ago, Ambrosia? World Cup. Yeah, sounds good. About World Cup time. Yeah, yeah. We opened dinner service the night before Thanksgiving. Oh, fantastic. Well, and that's Ambrosia, who runs everything here. You might have uh, met her on our podcast back in the Fountainhead days of Chicago, Illinois, when we were recording up there on the summer of 2020 on the rooftop doing various tastings of cider uh armiac cognac fruit it was basically no whiskey yeah we did not involve whiskey i never did the whiskey i'm I'm not the whiskey podcaster well you know what it's it takes a lot of things to all go around and once again we're not here to talk about whiskey (laughs) shocker yeah would you like to introduce our friend uh yes today we have with us marcus reedy hello Marcus, thanks for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. To Last be here. minute. No, of course. You know, what's, all we do in the holidays is wait for us to uh, to drink more, record more, and then wait to see if we can make it home. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus texted me about an hour before we we started and said, "Hey, where where are we podcasting?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh, <laughs> good point." We should have me- we should have mentioned that. <laughs> That's all good. I'm 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 mobile. It's very fine. very adjustable. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so well, thank you for that. And Marcus, course. Marcus, what do you do? Oh, I do all sorts of things, but I guess I'm here to talk about uh, Tattersall Distilling. I cover the Chicago territory, the Illinois territory, and other parts of the Midwest for this lovely distillery out of the Twin Cities. Yeah, um, I absolutely have been admiring everything you guys have been doing for quite a while. Uh, I love to see that the Midwest spirits are making its way outside of their backyards and coming into different parts of the market, which the Chicago distilleries obviously are doing. Um, and now the Minnesota distilleries along Tattersall kind of helping lead that way is coming into the Chicago market. But we aren't here to talk about whiskey because as a 12 days of barrel picks edition of this podcast, we're here to talk about gin, barrel aged gin, which yeah, gin. I actually fell in love with personally about seven years ago, I want to say, when I was working at Koval, and we started barrel aging gin. The concept seemed a little bit foreign. Nobody was really doing it that much in America. I know Citadel over in France has started kind of the whole trend that now is seen all throughout the entire world. But I just I thought when we first started doing it as a distillery, what a progressive idea. What's something different to do? And then we chose the right cast to do it using X-Rye cast, just thinking that the aromatics, the floral concepts that we have inside of the gin back then would go so well with what our rye does just on a palate taste. So putting it in those barrels, why not combine those flavors together and see what happens? And I think we barrel edged that first batch for like six months. So it gave it a pretty nice, uh, nice, um, finish on it and came out to be delicious. And I know to this day, they still make quite a bit of barrel aged gin over at Koval. So I'm excited to get into this one. Yeah, me too. Uh, for this, this way, so I was on the team that did the fountainhead barrel picks, uh, which was fantastic. So much fun going down to Louisville, getting to get in the Rick House and taste out all these barrels. I swear you came on and talked about that one time. It was not me. That was I, another Ambrosia. No, no. There's only one. I've never talked about whiskey on your podcast. I swear you you and Bob came on and you guys talked about one of your Kentucky experiences after you got back. 
Maybe. There's, been a, there's well, been a pandemic we'll in between. We'll file through the, the archives and yeah, see. Yeah, we'll have to fact check. We'll get a fact checker on it. Yeah. Uh, but oh, that's me. This, <laughs> uh, the ability to be able to do a barrel, uh, first of all, for Green Post, which is a brand new concept, um, but for me to be able to uh, get a gin barrel was so unbelievably exciting because um, single barrels with whiskey that's a thing that's always a thing but so this is just so exciting and new um, and uh, I don't know how to describe how exciting <laughs> it is even though it's not a video podcast the look on your face describes it all just trust me dear listeners <laughs> um, but so Marcus came to me with some samples um, of some different barrels. Uh, what, what all barrels did you have? Yeah, so this actually, it was kind of a funny story. It was the first time that I had actually been back to the distillery since I was there in September of 2019, Tatter, since I was at Tattersall, um, when I started with Tattersall in 2019. Uh, and then obviously we get a pandemic and I only know my colleagues via zoom yep. for the next two years or something like that so this was the first time i went back to uh, it was actually wisconsin we built a second distillery in between this time um and as a sales team we all sat down and tasted a bunch of weird fun things that we had aging um so there's about five of us on our sales team cover closely 15 20 states something like that um and some of the things we tasted were obviously this beautiful gin we're going to speak a little bit about. I brought back a five-year Amaro oh, that was so aged cool. in Dickel barrels. Well, where's that? That's in Georgia, I believe. Why, Georgia? Why? Yes. Yeah. Um, um, a bunch of weird aged whiskeys that we had. Um, I think I had a, a rye aged in a bitter orange barrel, mm. too, which was kind of cool. Um, but the two main hits were, was that Amaro and this... Um, uh, gin, and so I brought back samples. I, I don't even think at that time I knew this was going to be a gin bar. I just sort of thought, well, Ambrosia likes fun, strange yep. things, so I will bring this to her. Um, it's the right personality fit for that. Yep. We didn't. We because of various reasons, we didn't have distribution officially in Illinois at that time either. So I knew who to bring it to. It just was going to take a little while until we could actually uh, officially give it to you. But. I think it's a good place to kind of talk about what the concept of Green Post is. Yeah, so it's because a pu- it's, a it's different. House. It I mean it's people know it's the Fountainhead people, but it's also different from Fountainhead. Yeah, um, also Northman people, uh, which good point. Um, uh, we just got a best place to check out cocktail program. This place, the Eater. Yeah, nice. Got that in last night. Um, but it said, yeah, the team from Northman and, and Fountainhead. So uh, there's a lot of anticipation, obviously, for us to. To do this concept, but it's, it's not the Fountainhead. It's not the Northman. Uh, it is a public house. And as a beverage director, it was very fun and challenging for me to understand the cafe concept. So we are mm. a full-blown cafe during the day. Um, great expert coffee made by our wonderful uh, cafe manager, Catherine. Um, she runs an excellent coffee and tea program. Uh, it's a place that you can come and sit on your laptop, do work, um, gather and meet with people, uh, and then... Uh, watch the World Cup. Watch the <laughs> <laughs> It's over. Four more. Yeah, four three, years. Three and a half, four years. Stop yelling. Hey, w- Women's Cup is next year, so... That we, we've, it's a well-oiled machine. We can right. figure that out. Yeah. 
But, um, and so then at night, uh, we'd take the pastry cases down and get rid of the, the zhuzh station, which is what I call the, the place that you put the, the zhuzh in your coffee. Okay. Uh, everybody's got a different name for it. There's not a standardized one I've recently found out. That's, that's not, oh shit, oh. that's not a technical term? Uh-oh. No, no, I was actually dolloped the other day, and uh, I was like, what do you call that? Mm. And he's like, oh, I call it the sugar station. And I was like, oh. see, nobody has a name for it. Uh, but we, we transform the whole thing, we do a set change, if you will, and then we start the pub service, uh, dinner menu, uh, full bar, and if you come in uh, and look at that back bar, it does look familiar. It does. Yeah. It's enticing. It's <laughs> so we actually gutted the old Fountainhead building. We took everything out, uh, and that is the back bar from Fountainhead, and it is the physical bar that you put your hands on and your drinks on. Yep. Um, it is all the Fountainhead bar. Yeah, you can feel it. It's It's got some soul and some character in it, it's for a, sure. It's an awesome way to start a new place where you can actually bring a little bit of life you can breathe life with old life into a new place. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. <laughs> it does. But this place feels like it's been here forever. It does. No, and so many people that um, Red Lion Pub before this, and people come in here like, I don't remember anything about this like looking looking like this or how nice it was. And I think it's a, a major applause to you, your staff, and the owners who created such a beautiful place to hang out and enjoy quality spirits, quality coffee, really good food as well. I would go with uh, the steak and ale pie if you were looking for a pie selection, and the burger's not too bad either. I'm I'm a big fan of the broccoli rare bit. That's what I heard last night. Mm-hmm. Didn't I get tried myself. I got made fun of myself. a lot for eating my broccoli last night. Don't know why. It's delicious. I'm gonna just uh, apologize. Um, <laughs> apparently, I had been drinking a lot more yesterday <laughs> than I really anticipated. When I met my wife for dinner later after I left here, she's like, "How drunk are you?" I'm like, "I'm not." Well, I really haven't ate today, and I've been drinking whiskey since one o'clock. So, I mean, I'm, you were fine. I'm feeling great. You were fine. <laughs> Went to a wine tasting after that. So, um, yeah. But yeah, public house—the idea of a place to gather, whether you drink alcohol or not, whether you are young, whether you are old—we've um, got a bunch of board games in the cabinet. We have uh, family bathroom. Uh, we have high chairs. We have kids' menus with coloring. Like it's—it's it's literally for everyone, um, and alcohol isn't the focus actually even though in our minds alcohol is always the focus because it's our, our living yeah um but it's not it's mm. it's a place to gather and to have a a third space if you will not home not work but a place to come and hang yeah and it's literally in the neighborhood too mm-hmm. directly in the neighborhood and if you're visiting chicago it's right off the brown line so you can literally get here from most parts of chicago in 25 30 minutes on the train and then walk two minutes up the street and you're right here yeah i walked here today yeah I took the train. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Took the train from wherever I was somewhere. But um, yeah, it's it's wonderful to do that. It's easy to get up here. It's actually faster than driving for me. Yes. Especially on a day like today. Especially on when the blizzard is coming. A storm is a brewing. So we'll see how it goes. It's probably a good day to drink some barrel-aged gin. I think so. Other barrel-aged products too. Um, But so with, you know, having that Fountainhead back bar and um, coming from, you know, Northman being cider and Fountainhead being beer and whiskey, it was really exciting for me to be able to showcase i think the underdog uh maybe not as underdog as as rum is but <laughs> the next big thing the next big thing <laughs> rum the next big thing we've only been hearing that for a dozen years <laughs> uh but to be able to highlight a i think misunderstood spirit uh and a spirit that has so much 
to offer because the category of gin doesn't really have too big of a legal definition mm-hmm. to it. Yep. There are only a couple of, of legal reasons. I've just found out that they, uh, they got rid of the legal definition of Plymouth. It no oh, longer really? has to be made in Plymouth. I think it happened in like 2019. It was like huh. went, went kind of under the radar. But yeah, you can now make Plymouth gin outside of Plymouth, England. Huh. Um, but so you only have London Dry and Yin um, Mahon, which is made in Mallorca, Spain. But other than that, <laughs> <Didn't know> that. <laughs> yeah, it's a legal definition. But other than that, it's, it's a pretty broad category. Um, and I feel like, especially with, with having this house barrel-aged gin, um, that we are finding out that people have had that bad gin experience just like they had a bad tequila experience and then they've shunned it for the rest of their lives. Right. Um, and to have a robust gin collection and really cool gin and tonics, uh, it's starting to get people to be like, oh, gin's a, gin's a thing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I thought I hated gin. Yeah. Um, but turns out that you don't. Yeah, I think in the whole craft division of the upswing of craft in the last you know, 20 years, you want to say, or whatever you want to call it, dating back to, if you want to go to the late 80s where craft breweries started popping up and that class of like 89, and then going into the 2000s where distilleries kind of started their way and whiskey, I think, has become the prominent thing because it's been so hot for the last decade plus. But gin's doing, craft gin is doing just as much for gin as craft whiskey is doing for other whiskey distilleries across the world. It's about using certain aromatics, using certain fruits, the creation of, not the creation, but the usage of gin baskets or however you distill your gin and then, or not marinate, but infuse your flavors into it. It's... It's letting people know that this can be a quality spirit. It doesn't have to be just that one bottle of London dry gin that you saw on your dad or grandpa's shelf and you explored it too early on in your alcohol career and basically ruined your palate for the rest of your life where you have these great craft uh, distilleries that are doing amazing things. And then you have like like Sitsmith becoming an international brand. Like we do like a ton of different barrel age or different gins and doing slow gins and showing that progression, like being down in Australia and seeing that like there's a gin distillery in every block of Melbourne. Like, yeah, like it's like, it's like how we have our breweries and they have their breweries too, but we don't have like gin distilleries everywhere. We have a couple here and there, but not all over the place. It's progressed like crazy. I think even like speaking from the technique, it, it is, it's pretty, I'm not going to say it's easy to make a gin. Relative to other spirits, it is. You're not necessarily aging it. Um, you don't need to let it sit for X amount of years before you can start selling it. So it, it lends itself to being uh, a little more accessible to yeah. make. Um, I always say lots of people can make a gin. Not a lot of people can make a good gin. Um, <laughs> right. it can facts. It right. can go, it can turn pretty south pretty quickly. Um, as we've all tasted those before. Right. Um, well, especially in the 2000s when the whiskey distilleries were waiting to sell their product, everyone had yeah. a gin. And as a buyer, when that was happening, I was like, if you bring me one more gin, I'm going to I'm gonna scream. Right. But now I'm like, can you bring me your yeah. gin, please? It was a buffer product. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. It was seen as like, okay, how do we keep the lights on as our whiskey's aging for, let's say, 18 months to two years for some of these smaller brands to first get that out into the market? Okay, we'll make a vodka, we'll make a gin, make a white whiskey, see what happens, put it out there. But then it became saturated with gin products. And not that it wasn't, they weren't great or good. Oh, there was a lot of bad ones. There was a lot of bad ones, too. There was one distillery in, I believe, London that was making, uh, not intentionally, but accidentally was making essentially mustard seed gas. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember the distillery, but it was somebody who's 
took their uh, dad's inheritance and was like, let's start a gin distillery yeah. and didn't know what they were doing and were shut down rather quickly. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good. Yes, so let's avoid that, all people out there. That's why, we, that's why distilling is illegal at home. That's, yeah, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Me neither. <laughs> Me neither. But no, it's, it's the progression of gin is, I think, just as huge as the progression of whiskey in the last dozen years or so. And now we have barrel-aged gin single barrels, mm-hmm. which is this a regular thing for Tattersall to do? Yeah, we have uh, one of our regular SKUs is a barrel-aged gin. Um, we chose to go in the opposite end of the barrel-aged spectrum, and we're actually aging it in ex-Chardonnay barrels. Oh. Um, and we find that that is kind of enhancing a whole set of different botanicals. Uh, our, our unaged gin, which is one of our kind of flagship uh, products, um, not quite a London Dry, not quite a new American kind of botanical style. Nice little cross section between those two Contemporary. styles. Contemporary, yes. Um, but we find the uh, aging process in the Chardonnay barrels pulls out a lot more of those botanicals. You get a lot of chamomile, a lot of black pepper. Um, and it, for me, in terms of cocktailing with it, it works really great with honey spirits. Um, on a night, uh, day like today, it makes a great um, hot toddy, a gin hot toddy. Um, so yes, we to answer your question, um, we do regularly have a product aged gin aged in Chardonnay barrels. Wow, where do yeah. you get the Chardonnay barrels from? From Napa. Okay. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's great. Can you talk a little bit more about Tattersall? And I, I got yeah. to go visit the distillery, and it was a kid in a candy shop for <laughs> me. I mean, we've all been to distilleries, and it's it's. I should it, never have. I just do a whiskey <laughs> podcast and work for one. Uh, and so it's just like, yeah, here's the still. Cool. Uh, here's the new make. Here's the brick house. Like, yep, yep, yep. But going to Tattersall was so much fun. Uh, the facility, what they were doing, the uh, that spice room, the can you yeah. can you the yeah. greenhouses, yeah. Uh, the roof, every every. Could you just talk <laughs> sure. a little bit more about the distillery? Um, yeah, I would love to. Um, so Tattersall, we'll go back a few years. Started by. Um, Two childhood friends, uh, Dan Oski and John Kreidler. Um, they are Minnesota boys through and through. Dan was kind of, um, had a little notoriety in the Minnesota cocktail scene, the Twin Cities cocktail scene, um, and decided to kind of take that knowledge and apply it to a distillery uh, after he had a conversation with his childhood friend, John. Uh, Dan being kind of the um, flavors guy, John though did go to distilling school and is brilliant uh kind of the numbers guy um and about six seven years ago they started tattersall in the twin cities the concept being let's have a cocktail bar attached to our distillery the laws of minnesota i believe similar to laws here if you have a tasting room which is what our cocktail bar um was designated as uh, you can only serve things you make in house because we're all cocktail nerds we wanted to uh, make something like a Negroni. So that kind of lended us to make a bitter orange liqueur. Um, and then we started to make uh, an orange liqueur and um, to put into margaritas. So a lot of our inspiration is this kind of synergy, if I can use that fancy word, uh, between the cocktail bar and our distillery. So we have a portfolio full of uh, liqueurs and uh, modifiers and cordials, as we like to call them, um, from Fernet to Amaro to bitter orange, to a beautiful floral liqueur, and then anchoring um, on the other end of that is our gin, uh, vodka, 
Um, an aquavit we make, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. my yes. staff is obsessed yeah, with yes. the aquavit, which you could arguably say is a type of gin. For sure. Yeah. I, I describe it as a Scandinavian gin to people right. who've never really heard of it. Um, and kind of just touching back to a little of the conversation we just had, we were one of those distilleries that had this portfolio full of um, relatively unaged spirits. Uh, and while we were selling that portfolio, we had a bunch of our whiskey uh, resting and has now actually just come to market. We're the first distillery to have um, a bottle and bond come out of Minnesota since Prohibition. I'm doing a lot with rye whiskeys. Um, so that's just Tattersall's kind of concept. The uh, We took a, kind of the next step for us, which was to open a second um, distillery about 40 miles east of the Twin Cities in Wisconsin, in River Falls, Wisconsin, which is where Ambrosia and I went to. Uh, we took over an old Shopco, which I don't know. Like a Kmart. Yes, it's a Kmart. Essentially. Yes. The Midwesterns would know it as Kmart, or the old heads would know it as a venture, maybe. But, <laughs> um, so we were able to build this, as Ambrosia described perfectly, this candy land. Um, we were able to kind of expand some of our um, aging rooms. Um, we can now produce a lot more. We are the largest distillery run on solar power now. Uh, we have a lot of um, reclaimed water that we use that, um, you know, is kind of all part of this green initiative that we've been sort of trending to. And with this new space, we were able to really uh, take advantage of. So, yeah, we have a, a spice room, which Ambrosia also mentioned, which is tons of fun. It's all of the ingredients that are going into all the different liqueurs, into our gin, to our aquavit, anything that's getting botanicals, getting spices, absinthe. We make a really great absinthe. Um, it all <laughs> lives in this spice room of totes full of, you know, lime peels and uh, uh, cassia and all sorts of fun stuff. Wonka so. land for your sensory analysis. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like it's it's putting a soul into the distillery almost. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because there should be some sort of attraction for every distillery, in my opinion, that is different from everybody else and it makes you feel like you're in a unique place and not just walking through a rick house or not just walking through a, a warehouse or a machine factory something along those lines something you've already seen in pictures or you've already experienced in different distillery there should be this representation of what the brand is somehow projecting if it's through grains through a spice room whatever it could be i just see some of these smaller distilleries like wolf point they have a little spice room they're trying to do a little botanical room and you know like they're a tiny little distillery down downtown in the west loop but they have like a little bit of a soul they have this bar there they had the barrels surrounded by there and they're putting putting life into this into this empty vacant warehouse space where a lot of people put stuff into a space but there is no soul about it so i'd love to hear that it's similar to as we said to having the Fountainhead Bar yeah, the post. Right. You put it really beautiful. Great it comparison. Is the soul of a place that kind of builds out from there. Um, yeah, we're very fortunate to have it. The smells inside a distillery is probably one of my favorite things oh, about being in a distillery. From, from fermentation to even distillation to the spices to the rickhouses. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so much fun to just open your nose and, and get a whiff. Yeah. We're all smiling because yeah. we're all just like getting back into that. Uh, I have a good friend, Rhea uh, Windcaller. She does an awesome podcast mm-hmm. called Cider Chat. 
Um, but she insists that there's a fifth part of tasting, and that's the imagine part. Yeah. It's to close your eyes and imagine where that was made, where it was aging, where you were the last time you had it. There's so many things that the sense of smell can like bring in. And you're talking about the distillery smells, and we all have these big little kid grin Christmas morning faces <laughs> on because it, going into a distillery, it's just, it is that beautiful smell that you can't really. Yeah, I think if you have that smile or you feel that sense, overwhelming of your senses, when you walk into a, a distillery, a brewery, whatever it may be, something in our profession, you're like, I'm at home. And then you should, you, you should pursue that. If you are a person out there who is like, I want to do that, I get that, I know that feeling you're talking about, like, there's plenty of local distilleries that need part-time help, free help on the weekends, and you never know where that goes. So people always ask me, what, how do I get in this industry? I'm like... I took a very, very low-paying part-time job at a distillery, and that turned into a full-time job. That turned into a better opportunity. It turned into a better opportunity. You just keep going from there. Like, especially if you're a teacher. A lot of teachers ask me that for some reason. Not sure why, but uh, <laughs> probably uh, want to drink a lot. Yeah, when exactly. You're a teacher. Yeah, well, it. that it's explains hard, it all. They're both of my favorite customers. Both yeah. my parents were teachers, so I understand that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the wine was always flowing on Friday <laughs> evenings. Um, well but deserved. Yeah, but it's like yeah. you have time in the summer. You have summers off. Yeah. Like, go explore those opportunities. And if you like it, after two to three months, go for it. Keep doing it. But I know exactly what you mean. It was, um, I've, my grandfather worked at Jim Beam, and I got a, the opportunity to go fishing on the grounds there a couple of times. And I was really young when I went there. But the first time as an adult that I walked into a distillery, I was like, oh, I've, ha I, I've had this before. And I didn't know what it was, but I'm like, this is very familiar. And it was those smells and those sounds that keep coming back. And then my time at Koval, my favorite thing to do was to go in early on Thursday or Friday mornings and just hang out with our distillers there and shoot photos as the sun was coming through the uh, exposed windows and the top of the, of the ceiling and just, just like hear everything and take it all in before more of the distillers showed up, our whole office team showed up, and there's, you know, next thing you know, there's 25, 30 people running the operation. But at 7 30, 8 o'clock in the morning, when it was silent and just like you and the grains and the machines, there's something very romantic about that. <laughs> Did I take your breath away? It's no World Cup. <laughs> it is no World <laughs> Cup. It is, it is no uh, France. Australia matchup at 9 a.m. with a full bar and the, the drinks flowing and the people screaming. <laughs> Pride for their countries. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, um, yeah, let's get a little bit into this, uh, this barrel pick. Yeah, let's talk about the, the actual barrel pick. Is this uh, – how many barrel gin single barrels do you guys do? Um, single barrels for whiskey we do a, a vast amount of. Um, and then we have a bunch of weird little one-offs that we do. Um, this is the only version of – this gin so it's aged in our uh it's aged in rye barrels that previously had our bitter orange liqueur aging in it um it has a lot of orange nose yeah on it. so our bitter orange liqueur kind of a cross between campari and aperol um there's a little rhubarb root in it so it has this uh zucca amaro quality zucca being uh, a rhubarb amaro um so that bitter orange liqueur uh, gets aged for, I'm going to say about four months. I could be wrong on that. It's mainly for uh, clarification, to clear it out, to kind of get some of that sediment off. Um, and then the mad scientists at our uh, distillery, um, our head distiller, Bentley, um, his second-in-command, Quinn, they're always getting into weird stuff. They're freaking geniuses. They're lovely, wonderful, sweet people, too. Um, they threw gin into that. Uh, bitter orange barrel and let it sit for about a year and the first time it was really pulled i believe was when we tasted it as wow. a sales team uh and 
we all went crazy for it. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's about I believe a year, maybe a year and but a year and a half, a year and a half wow. in that uh, bitter orange X rye barrel. It's just like candy on the nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, forty. Uh, pardon me, forty-three percent, eighty-six proof. So, how do you guys usually build your traditional gins? Um, lots of juniper, lots of citrus, lots of botanical, uh, uh, lots of um, floral botanicals. Um, yeah, so we, we are not shying away from juniper. Yeah. It's definitely not the, um, it's not as aggressive as other gins. I love it. I mean, give me all the juniper in the world, personally. <laughs> um, we find that, like, when we're doing tours, uh, you know, we'll have people raise their hand and say, who's a gin fan? Maybe half the hands would go up. They taste our gin. And usually there's a good, uh, you know, half of that go up again so three-fourths of the yeah. people um it's a and i say that to say that it's a very approachable gin if you're if you were kind of turned off by you know grandfather's juniper gin <laughs> you still can give this a shot because there's a strong citrus nose to it and then some really delicate floral um yeah, and yeah. a barrel of gin i think it's a really nice gateway or a little bit of a bridge between gin and whiskey drinkers too because it does usually get if you're aging it inside of an x whiskey barrel it does bring more of that flavor and component to it i think people even just the sight of it not seeing it as a clear spirit kind of messes with their mind in that sense and creates a different psychosomatic reaction to tasting it i mean we're converting people left and right here uh we have a lot of bourbon on 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 the back bar and a lot of highly sought after bourbon so we do get a lot of bourbon nerds come sample it people for very (laughs) fair price I, i i think so yeah uh but you'll get these bourbon chasers that will come in and it what is this barrel aged gin it's exclusive to here i can i can only get it here i want to try it uh-huh yeah and they'll try it and you go from i don't like gin to oh my god this is amazing how do i buy a bottle well you can't you have to just come here and drink it and uh that alone converts <laughs> the, the bourbon chasers which is I just I, I'm giggling so hard about it because it uh, it's using those those marketing techniques that that bourbon has gotten so good at doing, especially over the pandemic, uh, to sell gin. Just use the allocation word, and there you go. Yeah, right. Oh, it's <laughs> it's well, that's it's, uh, so. As I'm talking to staff about this and trying to get feedback on, uh, it was really hard for me and Marcus to not put this in literally every cocktail. Because it's so tasty, but it's it's like a cocktail on its own. Yeah, I was just gonna say you put that on the rocks, so maybe like you put like an orange peel in there. You got something really nice. My first thought with this gin was I want to do a weird stirred cocktail that's not quite a martini, traditional martini, not quite a Negroni. Mm-hmm. Um, that was immediately where my mind went to. Like, let's treat it delicately. Let's not. We don't need to load it up with citrus, though it handles citrus really, really well. Um, Let's let's let the beauty and the characteristics of the gin kind of speak for itself. I'd, in a cocktail. I'd assume it'd make it an amazing gin and tonic, just like simple in that sense. That's our house. Uh, our house gin and tonic is um, the Tattersall Green Post Barrel Age Gin uh, with, uh, and we we serve our gin and tonics traditionally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you get them in a wine glass and uh, a little bit of rocks, and the tonic is served on the side in a bottle, so you can kind of choose your own adventure, taste the gin on its own. Uh, add a little bit of tonic. Me personally, I just like a couple drops of the tonic. Yeah. Um, but some folks want all the tonic. Uh, and are we using top note? 
We are using Top Note on the gun. Okay. Um, but the bottles are a company called Double Dutch. It's oh, I don't a, know them. Some twins uh, over in the Netherlands who didn't know that Double Dutch meant something different here in the U.S. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Double Dutch. Yeah. It's, it's great tonic. Uh, both of them are very excellent tonics. Uh, but we have both. Because um, you can't have a gin bar without multiple tonics. That makes sense. <laughs> that makes very much sense. I think we tried crafting our own tonic at Star Award at our bar for our because our house cocktail is a whiskey tonic. Which sounds weird, but actually pretty good. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I love tonic. I, I love Calvados and tonic, and that's a oh, traditional. Yeah. Um, anything with tonic, really. I'm a big fan, but I like heavy quinine. I don't like the uh, the sweet stuff. With right. Like a whisper of bitter. I, I like the yeah. bitter to be forward. Yeah. Good point. I used uh, to, I'm yeah. sorry. Go I used ahead. to run a, a bar program out in the western suburbs of Chicago, Mediterranean-inspired restaurant, and we had a menu full of gin and tonic because um, the chef had come back from Spain and gin tonicas were all the craze. Um, and I found I had so much fun just tasting a bunch of different tonic waters and tasting them alongside gin. And it for two ingredients, essentially, you can have such a – a wide world of different flavors. It's, yeah. it's awesome. I, I was trying to source Schweppes made from the UK because they don't use high fructose corn syrup. Ah. Um, and I got some, uh, not enough to put into a cocktail but frequently because it was expensive, but night and day experience between the chefs, Schweppes we get here, which I enjoy, and the high fructose corn syrup, or non-high fructose corn syrup <laughs> of the UK. Is there a potential of doing more single barrel gins? Yeah, for sure. We have other... And I can't really speak on all of it because I don't even know. But um, we do. I tasted a gin aged for a little less time in a bitter orange barrel, and it was nowhere near as good as this one. Um, we have. I'm just gonna say yes because there's potential to do pretty much anything. That's part of that candy store thing. Is we're always looking to do new fun things um, because we have. Uh, a roster of really beautiful regular things that we do um, that freezes up to do all sorts of crazy fun age stuff. Um, so when I was talking to the staff last night about this, I was like, oh, I'm going to be on the podcast about this single barrel. Uh, and they brought up a, a couple of cool points that I thought would be pertinent to talk about with a single barrel yeah. focused podcast. Yeah. Um, so one of the servers uh, was so sad that this is it, that this is it. This is, once we drink all of this gin, which is why we shouldn't put it in every cocktail because yeah. there's, it was only a 30 gallon barrel. Yeah. Once this is gone, like that's it. Is this their first interaction with a single barrel as a server? Yes. Or as part of a staff at a restaurant bar? And she's like, that's not fair. <laughs> and, and as soon as I brought this to the, the tasting team for the, to the ownership, uh, they were like, get more in a barrel right now. We're going to run through this and we need another one to back it up. And I was like, I mean, yeah, we can do that, but it's not going to be this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they knew that. But yeah, they, yeah. They, they're smart people. Uh, but they, she was just so devastated. And I said, I mean, it's just like a vintage of wine. Once that vintage is gone, it's gone. Yeah. Uh, it's just like a, a vintage of cider. It's, once it's gone, it's gone. And so you drink it now and you enjoy it now. Um, but this human nature to hang on or to have this, uh, you know, uh, agricultural products in your grocery store 365, seven days a week. Mm. Um and that idea that you can get anything that you want anytime that you want it doesn't exist with the single barrels. Uh, and that is like terrifying to a lot of people. For me, I think it's very exciting. Yeah. Uh, and drink it now. It's meant to be drank. But yeah, once it's, once it's gone, it's gone. And that was very, 
very upsetting and mind-blowing. Yeah, if there, I understand what she's saying. So I used to have a sense of loss when we go through a single barrel where you buy a single barrel at a store and you really loved it. And you're like, I'm holding on those last two or three ounces because I don't know what to do with it. I don't know who to share it with. But now I absolutely love getting rid of it. Being like, there's, it's not the end-all be-all. There's something greater on the horizon like most things in life if you can get skip past that little bit of a a bad time if you will there's always better times over the, over the hill if you can make it there and for whiskey for spirits whatever it may be you can have that delicious single barrel and that was that one one expression of what would happen with that liquid inside of that cast but guess what there's more cast coming there's always more whiskey coming there's always more gin coming and there's always more experimentation coming especially in our industry now as smarter and brighter people are colliding into what we do um, in the spirits industry every single day. So it's, I think it's just exciting. Yeah. It, and I, I understand her, her uh, point of view of like, this is the first thing you've ever, first interaction you had with single barrel and you taste this amazing gin, which is fucking delicious. Um, pardon my French, but uh, I would see what her action would be and why she'd have a sense of, of sadness. To a it. sense of loss. Yeah, it was loss. totally yeah. what it was. And yeah. I watched it wash over her face. That concept of like, I can never get this back. Like I can always go to the grocery store and get, a dozen eggs. I can always get the same milk. I can always I can get, get apples in June. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, it's like sure I can get Honeycrisp now in June. Don't started. Don't get me started. Don't buy those apples in June. <laughs> no. Um, but no, it's it's an it's it's all part of the education too. I mean, that's what the best part I think with all of our jobs is explaining to people why we love it and then passing that on to people. I think it, that's it's a wonderful way to take that pain mm. and uh, you know and transform it into something that you can approach your guests with. Right. To be like, right. this is it. Like, I want to be passionate about something yeah. to the folks sitting at my bar, and this is a perfect way to be passionate. It gives them something. promise in your place, yes. too. Like, oh, I can come, yes. I, whatever else they put in front of me, I'm going to trust it's good. I yes. don't care what it is. I, I just trust you behind the bar to give me something of quality. That's what I mean, and that's, with this gin being the the start for me of the beverage program and the Green Post, like this was like my sort of my uh, uh, keystone. I, I don't know. It, it really like kind of launched yeah. everything for me and made this place real. Um, to introduce that to the staff, but to say to them like, no, Tattershall is a really good distillery. Like mm-hmm. The juice is good. The cuts are good. And having this single barrel to introduce them to that uh, was super helpful because, I mean, we have Tattersall Fernet as our Fernet. It's not Bronca. We use Tattersall Orange Crema instead of any of the triple sex. But they have faith now that, oh, it's Tattersall Fernet. Like, obviously, we wouldn't be putting this on the menu if it wasn't delicious. And... So, so thank you, Tattersall, for yeah. making oh, it my Absolutely. job easier. It's a, such a lovely compliment. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, I'm just tasting it right now, and it has this awesome lingering finish, like an old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. Like, you're like, oh, that was a really good. I was just thinking in my head, I'm like, that's a really good cocktail. I'm like, we're drinking a barrel-aged gin right now. We're just drinking gin. Yeah. 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 That's it's what awesome. I love about it. No, it's delicious. It's got really great pepper to mm-hmm. it that I love. Um, like a whole peppercorn almost. Yeah, peppercorn. Yeah. Almost kind of numbing in mm-hmm. many ways. Um it's reminiscent of a Seville style gin, um, which Tanqueray I think makes a Seville style gin, which is just Seville oranges and um, yeah, it's it it holds up nicely in a Glencairn, but it works well in a gin and tonic. Yeah. <coughs> um, how many bottles got out of the barrel? Uh, we got 
22 cases, six-pack bottles, okay. so 100 and. You'll have it for a bit then. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we drink a lot of it yeah. here. We'll um, use it for a lot of cocktails. So. Uh, well, no, we only have it in the, the house gin and tonic, uh, which is just a, a neat mm-hmm. pour with tonic on the side. Um, and then the, uh, the Dinah Springs is, yes. is also, which is that um, yes. vermouth aromatic uh, vision that Marcus was talking about when he first tasted it. Yes. Um, that is currently on the menu. Um, and we, we serve quite a bit of that as well. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going through it at a pretty good clip. I love it. And uh, it, which, was, which was risky, right? Because when you're approaching a new disti- um, distribution company, um, <laughs> like you have, what was 130-something bottles of something, and you're like, you have to take all of this in, and yep. one person is going to buy it. Yep. Like, the depletion rate is really worrisome for when you have to house something like that. When well, you're not selling by the bottle, it's... Much harder. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so they were very worried, and I was like, "Don't, don't worry, yeah. don't, don't worry." It's and gin, like to take a risk on a one yeah. person buying an entire barrel of gin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know, it's rightfully so a little worrisome, but I'm really hoping that we have some of this left for when we open up our retail location next door. I was wondering if uh, this would be on the shelf in the retail spot once if it comes any alive. Left. <laughs> <laughs> once you guys have enough energy to actually pursue that yeah. now after opening. Uh, construction uh, starts January 2nd. Well, you heard it here first, people. <laughs> <laughs> a key uh, in the lake exclusive. <laughs> we've had a few of them this week with all doing all these re- recordings with the barrel picks. People are like, oh, yeah, we're releasing this brand new product. I'm like, oh, cool. You're the leading podcast. Don't, you, you can't That's stop. Right. It's the premier, the premier whiskey podcast. The premier gin podcast. Self-tagged. Po- <laughs> <podcast>. Self-promoted. <laughs> Saying that. Um, no, it is fun. It was, yeah, it was kind of a... After you do like 200 of these for four years, you're kind of like, what's the point of this anymore? And then you're like, it's just fun. Getting back into it, talking to friends and seeing friends. It's a way of... It's an excuse to have conversation with friends. Yeah. Yeah, so... Especially over good juice. Yeah, especially while it's snowing too and a blizzard is uh, just uh, falling upon us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of lively. So when I was pricing out uh, the back bar, uh, so I just finished doing scotch, um, <laughs> and scotches. Can, can I cut in? Yes. You're pricing out all the old Fountainhead inventory. Yes. So if anyone knows the inventory that Fountainhead had, you'll understand how much of an undertaking this is. As a former bar manager, I just my hats off to you. It. Yes, you're, I so I just wanted to add some context to anyone that's listening. It, it's an impressive undertaking that Ambrose is doing. Right Thank now. you. I almost texted you. I finished it uh, two nights ago at about eight thirty p.m. Um, and I almost texted you to be like, "I finished it." Yeah. About two and a half weeks of like twelve-hour days, spreadsheets on spreadsheets on spreadsheets on spreadsheets. I saw them. Um, it's true. <laughs> but I finally finished. Um, but I had just come off of doing scotch, and then I switched over to gin. And the price point, I was like, "This can't be right. This mm. can't be right. This can't be right. This can't be right." A bottle of Sipsmith is only this much. This can't. I gotta recheck these numbers. I, I like, is this right? Um, no, it's like a fraction of the cost of you know a thirty-year-old Scotch. Obviously, it's gonna be cheaper. But in my mind, the quality is similar. Uh, and so for the price point to go down so low, I was like, "I've got to be doing something wrong here." I'm like, "No, it's just." A hell of a lot cheaper. And that's what I love about this barrel-aged gin, too, and and uh, gin in general, is that you can tuck into a bottle for a fraction of the cost that mm-hmm. you would tucking into. And not saying that um, the value, of the, the non-capitalistic value is any different. Um, but it's much more uh, cost-effective and approachable to be able to get into gin uh, rather than 
a more expensive hobby, which would be your whiskeys. And all your whiskey bros coming to hang out. I'm going to get them to drink gin. You think you'll get any gin bros that'll ever come? I... I so okay, are you converting bro, some? The gin bro is different than yeah. Tell me the, about the, the gin bro. bro. So I wouldn't use the word bro. Oh, okay. Um, chap, bro. It's a chap. chap. Chap would be better. A gent. 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 Ooh, that's a good gin gent. Gin gent. That's a fun one. A gin yeah. gent. A gin gent. There we go. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> Done. I love making t-shirts. Uh, so the people that come in, uh, we have a, a lot of folks that came in that were regulars at the Northmen, uh, and to see them come in and to see them again. It just makes me so happy. Uh, we had a couple come in the other night, and I was like, hey, I haven't seen you since Northman closed. And, and they're like, we're, we were just so excited to see that you're, you guys are here again, and uh, we're just we're so happy to be here. And I was like, hey, hold on. You guys like gin? And they're like, we love gin. <laughs> I was like, hold on. And I ran back, and I grabbed them a taste of this. I was like, this is our barrel-aged gin. Like, mm-hmm. this is a green post gin. And they're like, stop, stop. We didn't think we could love this place anymore. You have your own gin? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and they tasted it, and I was like, this, oh, thank you for being back. Thank you for being back. And they were so, this, that's the thing with a, a gin chap, a gin gent, um, uh, a dandy ginner, a, a gin dandy. <laughs> I think it's a dandy might drink gin. I, d- I think a dandy would drink gin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from a teacup. A nice, a nice suit and a gin. Yeah. Um, is that they're just so appreciative to be in a space that appreciates and has a, a, a lot of gins because they never get that experience. It's ne- they never get to walk into a place that's like a lot of what they like to drink. And so it's not so much of a, they, they come in without the expectation and then when they see it, it's just a, it's a sense of relief and enjoyment and interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not this, um, oh, I'm going to spend $40 to impress my friends on this bourbon <laughs> that I just bought. It's holy shit, you have so many gins. This is so exciting. And then we both get to wag our little tails and, and geek out. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's it's a more nerdy crowd. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Uh, and uh, just a super appreciative crowd. But, and that nerdy crowd can be, that can translate and be transferable to all spirits too. Where like, I will not name the cocktail slash whiskey bar I was at the other night and I asked for a pour of my own whiskey, which they had a bottle of but didn't know what it was. And then they try to upsell me on their barrel pick from Jepson's. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, actually, I was like, I'll help a friend out and get one of his whiskeys and pop one of his bottles. And they try to tell me how they're best friends with the distill- with the distillers and then not knowing that actually very good friends with the family and was waiting for that person to actually walk in the door at any minute. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when that happens. Yeah. So I'm like, like oh, this guy is not uh, the whiskey bro, if you will, looking just to drink uh, something it's very uh, allocated, if you will, or sought after. Just like trying to have some good pours of whiskey and some good cocktails. But no, you went straight to your barrel pick just to try to upsell me on that where it doesn't put any trust into the uh, people behind the bar in that sense. It doesn't, but yeah. from a management standpoint, yeah. that's a well-trained staff from a management Oh, no, it was, the man- sure. it was the manager doing this. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, sell your own stuff. <laughs> right, right. right. And True. I gave him that point. It was more of like I asked for – he knew what my whiskey was. said I didn't have it. So he knows it's like a lower-proof whiskey because you could, you could tell he's educated. He's like, do you like high-proof whiskey? I'm like, yeah, we all like cast-strength whiskey. <laughs> like, he's like, but do you like, you like cast-strength? I'm like, yeah, but I'm not trying to buy one of your barrel picks. Like, it wasn't transferable. If you would have said, like, hey, we have this really delicious single malt from the Highlands, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, okay, let's talk about it. But you're just trying to – 
get me to buy your stuff, which I understand, but at the same time, probably not going back anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's and that's something that I was worried about too of of people uh, like having this fakeness of, about like, well, this is ours, so drink this instead. Like, oh, I know you oh, wanted yeah. this bourbon, but like this is ours, so drink this instead. And so that does there is a fine line there. Yeah, um, and there is a fine line with the exclusivity part of it. True, because you can only get it here, and there is a finite amount. Um, and so, like, where is that line of? Balance? I think it's just listening to your customer. Like, what do they ask for? If they don't, if you don't have it, what can I push you in the direction of that's something similar or along the same line versus going from a Australian single malt to a source bourbon in Chicago? <laughs> that's fair. Those are two <laughs> very different things. But that, that's what that's why people have come to the Green Post because they had trust in the Northman and Fountainhead and the staff and the owners and the relationships they built with the people on the other side of the bar to continue that. Maybe it's not just whiskey. It's not cocktails, it's not beer. Gin's this whole new element too. And that's what that, what you were talking about, the excitement from your customers, excitement from you and from your staff to have this whole new approach to it. Um, I am, I am, if I can speak for you for a second. No, no, <laughs> no you, you're good. Um, I just, I do wonder what the exclusivity component of a single barrel cask um, does the con- to the consumer. Right. I'm I, very curious about that. I'm sure you know, the same thing where our whole goal of selling single, <clears throat> single cast is to bring it back to the core whiskeys. Make sure that, oh, you tried the single barrel, it's delicious. What's, uh, what's the everyday whiskey of Star Wars taste like? What's the everyday uh, gin or whiskey of Tattersall taste like? And I assume it's something as Oh, yeah, lines. for yeah. sure. I mean, I, and I think it's a, it's a battle sometimes because of how much people want single barrels. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, our, we do a really great 100% rye whiskey. And it's priced really well. It's a straight rye, so it's 100 proof. Um, but, you know, it's hard to sell that when people are like, well, I want a single barrel version of that. And I'm, I never want to say no to yeah, yeah, right, We yeah. want to sell as much whiskey as we can. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's a battle, you know, to want people to go towards the rye that they can get every single day for much, which is, which is awesome. Um, but if it's not single barrel, sometimes people are just like, Oh, okay, well, but it it works the other way too. Like I won't get your rye because there's a thousand single barrel ryes I want to get now too. And I think the exclusive, sorry to cut you off the exclusive, that word. Um, I can't say it either. So don't worry. Is, uh, it's a double edged sword, you know, it is. And I always worry about retailers that are reaching for your single barrels and other single barrels from companies and overstocking their shelves with just single barrels versus the core products of all the brands and people thinking, what else does that brand do? Like what are these other whiskeys and gins, whatever it may be, even tequilas and all agave spirits in general. If I'm only buying like some, uh, some LTOs or some rare casts, and not actually ever tasting the core product. Are you ever even, are you, you ever get a feel for the ethos of that brand? Right. And then, do your customers only come to you for single barrels versus their everyday shopping right. experience? I think it's a fine line, and definitely it's being nimbly walked across or on, if you will, and trying to see what the approach will be because not everybody is. There's only one Binnie's in Chicago, and not everybody. Mm-hmm can be that where like I can buy like 120 single barrels from brands in one day and I will definitely have everybody mm-hmm. else's whisk- uh, your all the other core offerings on the shelf. So we'll see. Uh, speaking of core, uh, th- this poor, this poor Tattersall gin just uh, doesn't get any love uh, because <laughs> we have the barrel aged uh, and yeah. in, in our barrel aged. Um, but uh, I just revisited the gin, which we uh, put in a cocktail um, because we couldn't keep depleting the barrel aged <laughs> 
<laughs> the the single barrel. Yeah. Um, and it's it's revisiting it. It just it's it's just as delicious. It's different. It's just right. absolutely delicious. And the affordability of yeah, please uh, of having a market, a ventral market, but you've had the market in the past at Fountainhead to have both offerings next to each other. I think that and it's everything you guys sell in your market because it's a tinier place. It's all a hand sell anyway. I mean, obviously you're gonna have your, your neighborhood people come by and buy their whatever for the weekend every single every single weekend. But at the same time, you guys get to talk about everything on there and say like, well, if you tried the if you tried our our, our regular gin, try our, our single barrel or vice versa, and having that one on one appreciation from the customer to the person working behind the desk. That's the best thing about having a small market like you guys. Right. You but can explain what's on the shelf. But in a binnies, it's a. It's just like walking into. I'm mean, like today. Like I was telling you guys, it's a free for all, and there's people just walking around with giant uh, carts of restocking the shelves. Like the people don't even get a chance to even. If you had a question, I don't think maybe I have a chance to even answer that question for you because you're so overwhelmed. Yeah. Granted, December 22nd, as a uh, blizzard is approaching, yeah. right before Christmas, is a m- in Chicago. It's a minor yeah. out. It's a minor <laughs> outlier. But, um, yeah. Chicagoans are like, oh well. No, we're in for a yeah. while. It's Gonna load up. Well, I heard the lines out of the dispensary were really long as well. <laughs> Shocker. <Yeah>. Shocker. <laughs> Meanwhile, the grocery store is just sitting around like, hey, guys, you guys, no? We have so good. many Christmas hams. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I think it's delicious. I think delicious gin. Um, amazing product. I think it, and it's a great conversation about, I love, I love having these conversations that aren't just about whiskey because it can re- relate and be transferable to everything um, spirit-wise about where are we going with the direction of spirits in our relationship with retailers and on-prem as well when it comes to how do we represent ourselves as brands and how do brands, I guess, how do brands represent themselves in the best light? Now, going back to this unaged gin, uh, the pepper notes mm-hmm. and the finish really extend. Uh, yeah, they're really different, but really good. Uh, so the Bar- single barrel is 43% and it's same both proofed. Yeah. Both, both same proofed. Um, well, our original idea was to try to get this at cat, uh, Navy strength mm-hmm. and there was some issues with labeling that unfortunately we couldn't get that. So yeah. this uh, is our favorite TTBs. The, yeah. This is the exact gin aged in non aged in the uh, bitter orange barrels. It's interesting. Think? I'm tasting. I love it. Uh, the taste I get from the regular gin is the nose I get on the barrel aged oh. gin. The finish, yeah, the finish of the regular gin is the nose on the barrel age. Hmm. But the peppercorn is so prevalent up front where the peppercorn was more prevalent on the mouthfeel of the barrel age gin. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. But what's great about it is this, this the regular gin, is inside of the barrel age yes. gin. And it, yes. it, it, it is relatable in that sense. And that's what I think is so important about single barrels. If you have, like, this outlier of something you do and it blows up in a store or in a bar or whatever – that's great, but it's also as a brand you make sure to tell people like, this is a one-off. This is an outlier. This is something we don't do on a on a regular basis. It's like maybe like 122 proof, but we're doing everything around 100 proof when it comes to our whiskeys, and it has this like huge leathery taste to it. Well, we usually have more of a spicy taste to it. This barrel just happened to transform that way because of the conditions it sat in. And it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to tr- hard to tell people that, but that's our job as educators. Yeah. And, and something I'll do with staff training pretty often is when we start talking about finishes is to pull out the sherry. This is what an Oloroso sherry tastes like. Great. This is what a Fino sherry tastes like. And this is what a Chardonnay tastes like. This is what, like, whatever that barrel is. Like, remember, get back to the roots. Like, break yeah. it down and, and remember, yes, this is a very special, very amazing product. But it started somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can't polish a turd. 
I think we should just end there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we need to explain. You somehow, polish a turd. Somehow, I, I told you it was going to be a 20 to 30 minute conversation. We've got an hour, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if you guys have anything else to do or get home to loved ones before we're all tucked in uh, to our beds and our cozy blankets for a couple of days. And oh, well, we're almost done with tea time here at the Green Post. Um, the days fly by. The days just. It's just brighter now with the whiteness outside. It's gotten. We've gotten t- maybe an inch since we've sat here. Is today yeah. the darkest day of the year? Uh, it was yesterday. 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 Yeah. yeah. Well, so we're on the up. (laughs) (laughs) By 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Daylight savings, no more after this year or next year. Oh, really? Uh, We're going to spring forward. Yeah. Then it's done. And then we're done. Donezo. At least until the next government decides to switch it again. The next government. Until China takes us over. (laughs) 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 Um, But no, guys, this has been amazing. Um, I'm so glad to have something different thrown into the mix of this series of 12 Days of Barrel Picks, which all up to now have been whiskey and a lot of rye whiskey, just by chance, happenstance, um, which I absolutely love and been a great conversation. But to go a little bit off the beaten path and try some barrel-aged gin, um, I think that's just your middle name. Uh, off, off the, the beaten, beaten path? path? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you ever want me on your podcast to talk about anything but whiskey, you know I'm in. <laughs> it's happened a few times. <laughs> Looking like the 90-ish is uh, in the early 100s of those podcasts where we went deep into cider. And brandy. Brandy. I think we went Armniac or Cognac one time. Uh-huh, yeah. um, we explored a lot of different things, but uh, it's been great. Uh, I think this is the first Minnesota distillery we've had okay, on. Cool. So yeah, wow. uh, we're we're just getting more and more across the United States and across That's the world. Right. Just uh, checking off points. So um, we were going to have Keepers on Heart on earlier this week, but uh, you guys beat them to it. So oh, well. there you go. You know. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Well, uh, Marcus Brogia, appreciate it a thank lot. You. Um, thank you for making great spirits. Thank you for having a wonderful place to come and enjoy spirits. Thank you for giving Jen a chance. Hey, I always give Jen a chance. <laughs> since two- All we're saying. Since 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers.